Welcome back to the Podvocate. This is your host, Emmett Harrington. My co-host today is Leanne Jossend, and we will be analyzing the way legal proceedings have changed and will change in the wake of the online transition from COVID-19. We have two guests for this episode. First, Judge Schneider, who presides over a commercial litigation docket in the Circuit Court of Cook County. And second, Arbitrator Baker of the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. From Loyola University Chicago's School of Law, this is The Podvocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts. Judge Schneider, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Judge, could you introduce yourself and maybe your legal background and just what led you to the bench? Sure, I'm glad to. Um, I am uh, I'm a judge in the Circuit Court of Cook County in the Daly Center in Chicago is where I, where I preside for the most part. Though, of course, like all of us, I've been presiding somewhere else uh, since March, namely my home on the north side of Chicago. And that's where I'm talking to you from now. I've worked predominantly, I've worked in a bunch of different capacities uh, in the circuit court, though um, all of them in the civil setting, except for when I was a brand new judge and I went to traffic court. I do what's called commercial litigation, which means basically civil litigation regarding business, contracts, employment, just about anything that is not a personal injury or a tort. And Judge, you have several perspectives on this issue, but just to give us sort of a basis first, what was your typical day at the Daily Center before any sort of online shift? Uh, that's a really, that's a great thing. You know what my day before, before COVID was, I went to my courtroom and the uh, deputy said, all rise, or if he or she wasn't there, I just did it on my, walked in on my home and lawyers would step up case by case. A clerk would call out the name of the case, Smith versus Jones or so-and-so versus the city of Chicago or whatever the case may be. And what parts of your day have changed? Something that has changed drastically, you mentioned, is that you are no longer in the courtroom, per se. So aside from that, what parts of your day have really drastically changed? Now, working from home. I don't know when that'll end. Um, None of us do, right? So um, I think for me professionally, I did always enjoy very much the life of the courthouse and the life of lawyers and the life of trials. And I enjoyed seeing uh, law students and young lawyers um, and working with them, you know, through my day. And I think all of that's, we're we're kind of in a transition for that now. You know, over the summer, I had, I know you're both students, over the summer, I had both undergraduate and law students uh, working in my chambers as interns, as I always do. And in fact, I have one of them now. And um, even the way we go about that has changed, trying to create a virtual internship experience for just to clarify, do you guys use Zoom or is it a different sort of platform? We are using Zoom. The I think that like a lot of um, courts and a lot of business folks, we went headlong into Zoom. There are some private sector models that exist. I think uh, some of the federal courts are using private models. One of the reasons I think why we're, use, we're using Zoom is we're buying, uh, we're buying licenses for us to conduct our proceedings through Zoom. And then it allows for the participants uh, to dial in and participate without cost. And that's really attractive to us. So in the same vein as um, 
using Zoom, are there any online changes you see sticking? You know, um, we always hear that joke, you know, this could have been an email or this. Well, do you see any of this stuff where it could have been a Zoom call and it in the future will be a Zoom call? I sure do. Let me tell you, I sure do. I look at it like uh, this is we have change thrust upon us and it's an opportunity. So it, it, we have all these kinds of opportunities to make things better, make things more efficient and make things better for people. Um, I uh, jokingly, if you don't mind a bad analogy or two, I remember telling my some of my colleagues, as long as we're stuck in a cocoon, we should take the opportunity to figure out what kind of butterfly we are when we want to come out as. And, and so we have this opportunity to make things better in big ways and in little ways. Um, we have the opportunity to have enhanced procedural fact, uh, fairness, greater access to justice for folks and uh, use these things to save time and money for people too. A really, ex a really easy example, like, like you said, uh, Leanne, was just case management. You know, I was on the phone with some lawyers today in a telephone hearing and they, were, they have a motion to dismiss coming up and they're gonna brief it. And normally in the past, we had what was called a clerk status where lawyers would physically bring those briefs to the courtroom and give them to my clerk. And then I would look at them and, and you know, we'd have a ruling in the future. Well, now, of course, they're just going to email, email all those things in or Dropbox those things. So, you know, would we ever go back to them coming physically over the courthouse to drop those things off? I don't think so. Why should we? Do you see uh, depositions staying uh, remote and on Zoom? I think maybe. In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. You know, bear in mind, um, I've been a judge now. I've been a judge now for a long time. I would have bet the last time I, as a lawyer, actually took a deposition was perhaps before either of you were born and certainly before you were in law school a very long time ago. So I only know what I hear from lawyers. I think there are advantages and disadvantages to doing everything remotely, including, for example, you know, when I talk with lawyers, um, I'm telling lawyers like crazy to please communicate, tell us things that we don't know that we can't see because uh, we've all kind of lost our instincts. We're all trying to learn something very new. And so when you're taking your deposition remotely with your client, you may not have had a whole opportunity beforehand to get to know that person, to build rapport with them, to trust them, to get a feeling for what they're going to look like when they testify in a courtroom or for them to feel comfortable with you. Um, you need an opportunity to just sing for your supper, so to speak, to let your client develop trust in you and to frankly see the value of paying you. So will that be better in person or over remote? That remains to be seen, right? I had a trial recently that was a remote trial and the witness, there was an expert witness and he was testifying through Zoom from Atlanta. That was a bench trial. And so there was no particular downside necessarily for him to doing it in that manner. But I thought, would you depose this person through Zoom? Would you ever present them to a jury through a video conference? Thing? I think all of these things, just like everything else that you do in, in, in the practice of law, are going to be uh, strategic and, and intellectual decisions. By so a bench trial... Um it's still on the table for a remote proceeding, as I take it, right? You bet. Considering jury trials, though, and the ability, likelihood, and fairness, 
all those factors folded into it. Do you see Illinois implementing any sort of jury trials in the future via Zoom? Um, I think it's possible. I don't think we're I don't think we're there yet. Um, the Supreme Court of Illinois has given us some new rules to work with, and and you tell me how. I mean, I know you're attending a national lawsuit, a law school, so your students are coming from all over the country and they're going to be practicing all over the country. Sadly for you, you're talking to somebody from Chicago, Illinois. That's the area of law that I know about. So um, I, if I can be a little bit specific, the Illinois Supreme Court has given us some new rules to work with for remote proceedings. Um, and it allows us to take testimony online in civil proceedings only. Um, matters other than testimony in the criminal courts can be taken through remote proceedings. But trial, the taking of sworn evidence, can only be done remotely in a civil proceeding. Can it be put on in front of a jury? Yes. Is that happening now? Not very much, not that I'm aware. In Cook County, we have to think about a, a lot of things, not the least of which is persons who are in custody. And to the extent to which we're able to do remote proceedings or we're able to resume live proceedings, are their right to proceed to a jury trial, perhaps is getting in front of anybody else who's got any kind of a civil case. We're all together as judges and lawyers are going to be trying to figure out those kinds of things. We've talked a lot about what's good about technology, and you made the butterfly analogy, which is a great analogy, by the way. Um, is there anything that's that we're losing, you know, tr transitioning to being a more technical profession? Is there anything that really we're going to miss from that. We've talked a lot about how Zoom removes like the human aspect of it because you're not really sitting in front of, you know, you and I are not sitting in front of each other today. And So, you know, I think there's two things. One thing I wanted to talk about, which is digital divide and access to justice. And this is not necessarily a loss, but each decision that we make will have consequences for the people who appear in court. And so, you know, for example... You can, use, uh, you can use video technology. Say a, a mom or a dad uh, can use video to come to court from, uh, to participate in a child custody or a child support proceeding. That might be a good thing. They don't have to take a day off from work. They don't have to park. They don't necessarily have to get a babysitter. On the other hand, the, the ability to build the rapport to tell you something very important about what's going on in their life, something that they're afraid of or something that they're ashamed of, or even do they have a private place to speak with you remotely? All of those things. We can't assume that those things are easy either. So each decision that we make, we have to be conscious of the up and down of it, of whether we're eliminating barriers to access or creating new ones that didn't exist before. I don't think that's necessarily, I mean, I think technology is, you know, it, it, technology doesn't have its own moral dynamic. It's up to us to, to, to bring one to it. The other part of it, the thing I think that's really missed, and boy, I'll be honest with you, I wish this wasn't happening. I wish things were the way they were, and I can't wait for them to go back, is uh, particularly for young folks and for new lawyers, that building that reputation, building that rapport learning those skills about how to communicate as a lawyer, those are built through observation and they're built through interaction. 
and we have to find new ways to make those things happen, at least temporarily. I, you know, I've talked with a couple of lawyers in my family and a couple of lawyers who are friends and other judges, and we think about when we reflect on our career, how much of it you learned in the elevator, how much of it you learned sitting in the hallway waiting for your turn to get called, and the other lawyer that you met, or the oper- or the skill that you saw, or the opportunity that you found. I don't want you to miss out on those things. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. All those small daily interactions need to be factored into any sort of long-term solution we're talking about here. Like you said, whether it's in the elevator or for me and Leanne, just talking to students before class, that adds up. That's something we're missing right now. But you also brought up access to justice as a concern. If Illinois allows a remote jury trial in the future, doesn't that open up new issues just outside of the procedural. Like let's say a defendant or a witness has a poor internet connection. Do you think courts need to protect against that? I think that's a very good point, sir. That's a very good point. You know, we need to enhance the reliability of the of the proceeding and to safeguard its integrity. And as you say, a party, you know, do juries think about how people are dressed, what kind of clothes they wear? They do, even though we ask them not to, right? Do they bring their inherent biases about people's race, about their gender, and about their socioeconomic status? They do. And, and so do we as lawyers and judges, and we have to work through those things. So now we're seeing, well, gosh, am I gonna, are we going to now judge you based on the value of your internet connection, based on the level of your broadband? Are we, that's what I was talking about before. Are we, each, each step of the way, we have to say, I'm going to take down a barrier. I'm not going to make a new one. Yeah, that's interesting. For one of the classes that I teach, we talk about how using virtual backgrounds is so important because it prevents you from being judged on the room behind you. You know, some people are in certain rooms that they may not want to show. And so it's interesting to view virtual backgrounds as an almost like a tool of equity. You know, that's oh, that's an interesting phrase. I'll remember that because I've had some uh, boy virtual backgrounds are just this topic that people love to talk about and and as I said, I did a bench trial. It was a six-day bench trial through video conferencing. And, you know, I know this is a podcast, so your, your folks can't see. But, you know, I had to set up a little home studio for it. And they very much did not want – they had us put in the order. And I do have a protocol, by the way, an, a remote trial proceeding protocol that I can share with you. Um, it's on the county's website as well. Uh, specifically, that there would be no virtual backgrounds. Because they did not want their witnesses. They wanted to be able to see what was behind them, that someone wasn't passing them a note or signaling them or something like that. It was the flip side of this social equity issue that, that you're raising. That's an interesting counter, Judge. Uh, but switching topics, how would you deal with the backlog if you were in a court that had one? That's a real tough question. Um, you know, um, The particular type of litigation that I do suits very well to remote proceeding, more so than, for example, personal injury or the family courts or the criminal courts. And and that's a real tough question about how and when and in what order. I can only give you I can only give you the advice that I'm giving to the lawyers, and that's that when it's when ready, set, go, it's time to start doing those jury proceedings again. 
is that when you want to start getting ready? Or do you want to say, no, no, my case is ready to go today. I want to be in the front of that line because my case is ready to go today. I mean, I think that's something you can do in terms of practitioners. Um, I think then they have to, we, we will have to develop some kind of equity model for how we go about it because all cases in a sense are equally important. On the other hand, in the civil side, you know, there's a case about somebody's housing more important than a case about their credit card or more important than a case about a car accident or a personal injury or, or, or a divorce. Who's to say we have to find some way that's kind of, we can all agree as, as judges and as a legal industry are, is a fundamentally a fair approach to, to doing it. But within that fairness, I think the, the practice pointer is to say, my case is ready to go right now. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Something I hadn't considered beforehand is, you know, are there some cases that, quote unquote, deserve to be seen in person more so than other cases? You know, if it is a traffic ticket more more or less important than, like you said, somebody's credit card or their home? Are we seeing maybe like a, a priority list now of this case has to be seen in person? This we case? really aren't. And and um, we aren't other than the fact that the criminal criminal courts, persons are in custody. They have everything we do has to be done consistent with constitutional standards, of course. Um, and uh, I think cases regarding juveniles um, are in some senses, uh, uh, there seems to be a shared assumption um, that those have a particular priority to that. Um, other than that, it's, uh, it's a matter of discretion. And I think that um, the, courts have, the Supreme Court's given us some thinking about how to go about which cases are better, better for remote proceedings than others. You know, as Amit's pointed out, there's the there's the big jury issue. The thing that's hanging over everything is when can we do uh, jury trials? Judge, going back to what you said about clerkships, and I believe you said you still have a clerk right now working remotely. Do you have any advice for the typical law student looking for that next clerkship? Is there some sort of digital tool we should be mastering right now? Do you know, I'll tell you, I think, I think if, if this weren't going on right now, if we were in a completely normal setting, what I would be telling you is ask for opportunities. And, and one of the, one of the mistakes I think sometimes that students make is self, self holding themselves back a little bit. And I don't mean that as a, as a, as a judgment. Um, I was a, um, law student too and was the first I, I, I'm pretty sure the first lawyer I ever met was like my first year towards professor. So, you know, I, I get kind of being trying to get into some career that's not really part of your world or something you don't know a lot about. And and I if if COVID wasn't happening, my advice would be, and it still is, even though COVID is happening, let someone else say no. Ask for opportunities. And let them say no, and don't say no to yourself. Now, the tricky part with with what's happening with remote proceedings is it may require you to um, help someone create your opportunity. And by that I mean, um, you know, uh, I didn't I didn't do too badly with you to getting on to Zoom and getting set up to do this thing. Uh, 
but I'm, I am the age that I am. And so there are people my age who might have found that insurmountable. Well, that's unfortunate that the door between you and an internship and the door between you and an opportunity could be someone else's inability to understand the technology enough. But you got to take that door away for them and then say to them, oh, no, I can figure out a way for me to have a remote internship with you. What, what, what Leanne talked about at the beginning, the way it was before is perhaps gone. The way it will be on the other side of this is unknown. But your student experience is taking place in the transitional experience. And that's its own kind of interesting thing. So I'm sorry to say you may have to, I, I should find a more PC way to do it. You may have to explain to some old judge or some person, no, I can make this happen for you as easy as all you got to do is click on the mouse and we'll be good to go. Are you seeing a lot of younger law clerks assisting um, the judges that they're working with, almost feeling like a separate tech support role? You know what? A little. I not that not a whole lot. I I have been uh, trying real hard to not bother my law clerks on that stuff. I am on the Supreme Court's Committee on Judicial Education, and it's my privilege to be the chair of new judge orientation programs, the training for new judges to help them move from being lawyers to judges. And I was in a meeting about that, a virtual meeting about that, about how to help, you know, your students, how to help lawyers make the transition from being a lawyer to a brand new judge this year in this environment and what their educational needs will be. And one of, and that's exactly one of the issues. Do they have the tech background that they need to make this? And how do we provide this to them? And uh, a colleague of mine said, uh, um, uh, adapt, endure, and thrive. And, and I, thought, I said, well, I like that a lot better than adapt or die, which is what I would say. So we're going to adapt, we're going to endure, and we're going to thrive. And how do we thrive? Well, we don't thrive just by turning to... to whatever young person might be there and say, can you explain to me how to do this? You know, you learn uh, it, and, 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 you know, you and you as young legal professionals and me as a judge and the lawyers who you're working for or the lawyers who you hope to work with, we have no choice but to become great. We might've chosen to be, we might've wanted to become great. Now we have no choice. We must become better. I really like that message, adapt, endure and thrive. I think, the legal field has a reputation of being a bit stubborn at times and slow to adapt. That's probably the takeaway from this, I think. That That's right. COVID's kind of forcing us to make a change in the legal field, and it's all going to be about how we adapt. Do you know what carbon paper is? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's what, where the term CC comes from, yeah. right? An email? So, you know, I was telling people, look, we're going to go from carbon paper to, to remote proceeding. We're going to go from... We're going to go from the 19th century to the 21st and just skip the 100 years that we slept through and, and get ready to go into the next world. That's exactly right. And so it's a tough, tough. It, there's so many things about this whole situation um, that, that you know, make me angry and wish it wasn't happening. But really among them, one of the biggest is how tough it is for young people to, to get the kind of experience that you deserve. And so, you know, make it happen, but also make, insist upon yourself a little bit. And, and, you know, this summer I had a, 
this summer I had an undergraduate student who got a scholarship, who gets a, got a scholarship from Northern Illinois University, a person who was thinking about law school. And, you know, the, the thinking of that foundation was a little bit, well, do we hold off on this scholarship this year because there isn't a place for the student to come? Oh, no. To the contrary. Now more than ever, we must, you know, we got to make something happen. So, you know, I think, you know, don't not, don't be obnoxious, but insist upon yourself and say, no, no, I need to, I need to have an opportunity. Judge, thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. That was Cook County Judge Jim Snyder. Up next, Arbitrator Baker from the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. With us today is Arbitrator Baker. And Arbitrator Baker, thank you for coming today. Sure, no problem. I'm happy to be here. Uh, you have a diverse perspective on all kinds of legal proceedings. You've worked as a civil litigator, and now, of course, you're a workers' comp arbitrator. Um, can you give us sort of a background to your legal career and how you got where you are today? Sure, yeah. So uh, I'm Deborah Baker. I'm an arbitrator for the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. And um, you're right, I've done a lot of different stuff uh, in my past. Um, I started out as a staff attorney, actually, for the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. And from there, I've done a lot of various litigation. So a quick disclaimer, like before I start answering that these opinions are my own and not the opinions of the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. But uh, I've done uh, some civil rights defense with the attorney general's office. And um, I also did some bankruptcy uh, defense in-house. And then, um, like you said, now I'm an arbitrator for the Workers' Comp Commission. So done a lot of different stuff, and I think it served me well and helped me to see all sides of uh, litigation from many different perspectives. Uh, so not only litigator and advocate, but um, as uh, an adjudicator of uh, the rights of, of clients and parties. Uh, that's great. All that experience is exactly what we want for this episode. Uh, Leanne and I want to explore sort of how this online transition in the wake of COVID-19 has changed the legal proceeding for the typical Cook County attorney. So what was your typical day like before the online transition? Uh, as an arbitrator, you know, as you can imagine, uh, when we would have hearings, uh, which wouldn't be every day, but about, um, you know, maybe two weeks out of the month, uh, we'd have hundreds of attorneys that would show up and come to the hearing rooms and attorneys lined up outside the doors and some of them were talking and working out their cases as they were standing around. Um, and then they'd come before us and, and present their motions and we'd have some, you know, with the pre-hearings, I guess. Um, and then we would also uh, just have informal discussions about uh, motions that they brought as well as formal hearings uh, where all the parties would bring their witnesses and present evidence. So it was really busy, a uh, lot of people all the time, hundreds of attorneys we'd see every day. And um, I, I think that's true for most uh, court systems, even the uh, administrative law system. So um, I think that's the, the, you know, that's probably one of the biggest changes that we've seen. Yeah, I imagine it's changed a lot considering like there's no sort of communal aspect before the court starts. Um, 
So what changes do you see sticking? How has it changed online? How are these attorneys communicating? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, now we see that um, a lot of the attorneys are, all of the discussions that they would have when they would come to the commission in person, they're uh, talking on the phone, having to talk on the phone more. Um, a lot more emails are, are being exchanged, um, even from attorneys to uh, us, the arbitrators. Um, the amount of emails that I get is, uh, you know, gone up astronomically. So I, I think that uh, everyone's adapting pretty well. And obviously, um, these are my opinions and not the opinions of the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. Um, but for me personally, I've seen that um, everyone seems to be adapting pretty well, but it's, you know, there's some disadvantages to it as well, because a lot of the things that you could probably get done really quickly in a quick conversation takes a lot longer via several emails um, and getting on the phone for some reason isn't as inviting to people. I guess it's not uh, not something that a lot of attorneys do regularly anymore. And I think that was happening even before COVID. That's a really interesting take. And I definitely sympathize with the deluge of emails that I've gotten in my inbox since classes have started up. So what online changes do you see sticking like for better or for worse? You know, are we going to see a lot more Zoom depths and status calls and hearings now that ordinarily would have been done in person, but now, you know, with the convenience to the parties potentially would be sticking after COVID? I guess the, the first thing you said, which is interesting, is um, after COVID. I think, I, I guess, I, I you know, months ago, I would have known uh, what that meant or felt like I knew what that meant. Uh, but now I'm not quite sure what after COVID means. I, I can't really see whether COVID will really go away or just become something that feels a little bit more manageable and controlled. So what I think is, you know, I think that a lot of the changes are going to stick because of the fact that even if there isn't COVID, I think we now have this realization that there could be um, other uh, viruses or other pandemics, or even if they aren't pandemics, just risks of pandemic that we are, are mindful of now. So, and the other thing is that a lot of law firms and governments and uh, individuals have invested a ton of money into these new tech uh, software and these new platforms, these new video conferencing systems, and it's they're not going to just get rid of it <laughs> anytime soon. So, uh, so I think that as far as video conferencing being used for meetings and status calls and things like that, I definitely think that that's going to stick around at least uh, in part. And I think a lot of court systems will have some aspect of virtual options for attorneys. I'm not quite sure if it'll be 100% virtual, but I think that there will always be the option, um, which I think is great for attorneys and um, judges and, and clients, everyone involved. So, um, but as far as actual formal trials and hearings like that, I'm not quite sure if we'll completely go to virtual hearings and trials. I think that there are some courts that are doing virtual trials. The, you know, the Illinois Workers' Comp Commission is not doing that yet. And um, I'm not sure if uh, the majority of courts across the country are having virtual trials. So that still might be in person. And workers' comp doesn't have any sort of jury trial, right? It's only bench trials? Right. That's correct. So it's, uh, and for, 
I shouldn't say informal. It's a formal hearing, uh, but it's a public hearing open to uh, the public. And it is just before the arbitrator. So even though there's no jury, could you foresee a bench trial bringing any sort of procedural prejudice against a respondent or petitioner? Um, So that's a good question. I think that um, specifically with respect to prejudice to uh, a petitioner, um, or a respondent. I think that I'm not sure that there's a huge worry about that in ter- for, with respect to a bench trial. I think it's more the operations, the actual ability to have a reliable um, a reliable platform in which to allow the amount of attorneys um, who would need to have these hearings and trials to be able to have them simultaneously. I think that the concerns are also with, uh, you know, how would you set up uh, like the court reporters and being able to, uh, you know, take the transcripts of the testimony. I think that, you know, whether the court reporter would be at their house and there's if they have problems hearing what's going on, it's going to be kind of difficult to keep interrupting remotely. Also, I think the length of the hearing would probably be, it would probably be longer because I'm sure, you know, the delays um, in terms of hearing what people are saying. And when whenever there's something you can't hear, you have to ask them to repeat it and any tech issues. I think there's worries, concerns about all of that. Um, and, and just taking live testimony, honestly, uh, regardless of whether um, there's a jury, I think that from an arbitrator standpoint, um, I would want to make sure and know that th- it's a controlled environment for whoever's testifying, that they don't have to worry about someone being in the room um, trying to either affect their testimony or just distract them in general because we're all at home and we have, you know, some people have kids or pets or significant others or, you know, maybe some people don't have um, stable housing or secure environments to uh, you know, give testimony in a in such a formal environment. So I think there's other concerns uh, besides uh, prejudice, and it's more operational. Um, not to say that it can't be done, but I just think there's a lot of concerns about it. That's a lot to comment on there, but I think you brought up some really good points. Um, just as a quick aside, my um, mom is a former court reporter, and when I talked to her about how Zoom court was going, she said, you know, I really don't envy the court reporters that are practicing right now. Something else that I thought was interesting that you brought up was that people giving testimony in the same uh, in the room and having other people potentially in the same room with them during the testimony. Um, we talked to Judge Jim Snyder, and he brought that up as yeah. well. So... Do you see, is that um, something the courts are really concerned about then? Yeah, I think it's a common concern among attorneys and courts. And it's not just for hearings or trials, but also it goes for depositions as well. And I think it's whenever you have someone testifying, um, there's this concern that we don't know what's going on in the background, right? I can't see who's in front of you. Um, I don't know if someone has or those teleprompter signs in front of you trying to help you remember things or giving you things to say. So it's, it's hard because the courtroom is such a controlled environment. You can see everything. And I think as a, an arbitrator or a judge, you want that controlled environment. It helps you to control your courtroom. It helps you to make sure things are going well. Um, it helps you to have a good record. 
And I think when you lose that control, you kind of, I think it makes the parties worried that they can't really trust the procedure and what's going on. So I think that is a very common concern. Moving on to like a more practical sense, do you think that the proliferation of uh, digital proceedings will actually increase workload on people such as yourself because there's no travel time, there's no kind of time built in for, you know, almost a break in some sense because these proceedings are so like compact in a way? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I actually do. Um, and I've had this discussion with a couple people. Um, one, a friend of mine, she's not an attorney. She works for a nonprofit. Um, we were talking about issues with how, why it is that we feel so busy and so stressed um, and yet not as productive as before. Um, and then I had this uh, conversation with another um, uh, colleague of mine who basically said, you know, we're getting so many emails and we're, um, you know, I, I've seen that I'm busy and I'm doing so much stuff, but it just feels like I, I don't think I'm doing as much as I used to, or I, or I can't measure it anymore. And I think you're right that because everything is virtual and online, um, the time, the expectations are different, right? We don't have the expectation of, well, when you have lunch, you go somewhere and you get lunch or, when you go to court, it takes a couple hours or there's breaks in between for travel time or someone's going home because we're so plugged in. And there's almost this expectation that we can never unplug anymore. Um, I think that's probably one of the bad things about uh, being so virtual and so um, technologically focused is that everyone seems to be working so much harder, but I'm not quite sure if we're as efficient. Um, in some ways we are, but in other ways, like I said, you know, you could have a quick two minute conversation, which could take 10 emails. Um, so I, that does worry me a little bit and, um, I'm not sure, uh, what the solution is for that, but I do think that's going to end up being a byproduct of being more, uh, having seen the practice of law become more, uh, technological is that we, our expectations are that everything should happen quickly, everything should be immediate, and um, there should be a quick turnaround for absolutely everything. So, Do you think that there's a skill to be learned throughout all of this uh, online transition that, that we as students probably have a little bit more of a tech savvy than? Um, yeah, that's a, a good point. I think um, as, as a student, I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like if I had been in law school during um, a pandemic like this. But I think you uh, students now probably do have an advantage because um, they always say, you know, the younger generations are already so plugged into technology that this will probably be easier for them in some ways to adapt. Um, so there's that, but I also think that just generally, um, going to law school and having all of your classes, all, if not most, um, being, uh, virtual has kind of helped you to understand what it's going to be like when you start practicing. Uh, but one thing I think I would say is for students, I think that one thing that hopefully you can help to resolve or, address as you start practicing, you know, once you graduate, you know, try to see if there are ways to continue to build camaraderie and build rapport with 
colleagues and clients, even in a virtual world. And I think that that's going to be one of the challenges for uh, attorneys now um, and new attorneys that enter the practice because the techniques you would use previously to build rapport with clients and to uh, connect with supervisors and partners and your colleagues are different when you're not actually seeing them face to face. And I can't really imagine what I would have done if I had started a job um, in an environment like this. How would I have actually connected with my supervisors or or even professors right now as you're in class? Um, so I, I, I would challenge you um, as students to kind of get together uh, with each other, try to make a point of connecting with each other and um, come up with ways to figure out how you can build these connections and relationships in your professional lives, even in a virtual world. Yeah, I think mentorship programs and one-on-one connections are really doing a lot of heavy lifting right now in terms of getting people social, like having a social life in the legal profession. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I definitely have seen that um, instead of having a lot more of, um, you know, I guess scattered relationships and um, networking events, now it's more one-on-one. Who are my real mentors? Who are my real relationships? Where am I really connecting? So uh, in that respect, that's probably a good thing that we're actually having deeper, more meaningful connections. Um, but there is something to be said for some of these tangential more professional acquaintances that uh, people used to have. Sometimes those are beneficial. So I still think that maybe we need to figure out how to have more of these maybe virtual networking events. How do we get that going? All right, Arbitrator Baker, my last question for you. If you were theoretically, let's say, Workers' Compensation Commission uh, goes back to being to hosting trials, if you were to build a Zoom feature specifically for your remote courtroom, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. I had not thought of that, but I really wish that, um, you know, having done some unofficial uh, meetings and hearings, not actual trials via uh, WebEx is what we use. Um, I think I wish that there was a feature to kind of to turn my camera off. That To me, that has been invaluable because not every uh, meeting or um, pre-hearing that I have with attorneys is face-to-face. Sometimes it's just it's just audio. And I, I think that that gives the attorneys a little rest from the Zoom fatigue or the constant in-person uh, having to be on all the time. So you can kind of just focus on what you need to say in your case as opposed to worrying about, and, and I'm sure you as students know this, uh, especially 2Ls in, when you're uh, developing your oral advocacy skills, um, but always having to worry about your facial expressions and how you look and how are you reacting. Um, having to do that all day long can be exhausting. Um, and so I wish that I could just turn off a camera <laughs> during a trial so I could just focus on the case and just hear what's going on. Um, I know that's not possible, but I feel like that would be nice. Yeah, there is something to be said for having to be on all the time, because when you're at a physical location, like you're at work or you're in a negotiation or something like that, you are in that mindset. And then like now you have to be in that mindset, but you're sitting in your own home, right. you know, so it's kind of hard to physically compartmentalize that 
being on and being on. Right. And then, like you said, there's also that time period that you have, like, walking to the courtroom or walking back to the office. Um, so you have downtime. But I feel like uh, the way that, at least that I do my uh, Zoom, uh, they're called pre-trials or pre-hearings, they're just back-to-back constant. Um, so it's, like, every 15 minutes for hours on end. Um, so I do turn off my camera sometimes, and I feel like that's helpful for me. Well, thank you for joining us today, Arbitrator Baker. Of course. I love it. Um, I'm so glad you guys have this uh, amazing podcast, and it's been a pleasure to be a guest. Our senior editor is Radhika Sutherland. Our associate editors are Olivia Ashe, Leanne Jossen, Lenny Reinhardt, and me, Emmett Harrington. Our editor-in-chief is Matt Doran. Special thanks to Dean Michael Kaufman for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podcast.